All right, so we'll say let's uh, let's begin. So first of all, we dedicate we dedicate our learning this morning to the four individuals murdered yesterday in the in the Harnov massacre. To Rav Moshe Tversky, Rav Aryeh Kapinski, Rav Kalman Zev Levin, Rav Avram Goldberg, and as well as to Rafua Shalema for Chaim Ben Malka, Itan Ben Sara, Shmuel Yerucham Ben Bela. Avram Shmuel ben Shinen Aryeh ben Bracha. And we hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, the Neshamas have an Aliyah, and those who require a Rafua Shalema experience one. All right, so let's begin. Also, the Shir is sponsored by David Kahana in memory of his father in law, Zev ben Shlomo. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, the Sham will have an Aliyah. Okay, so let's pick up today's daf is Memvav. We left off on Memhei Amud Beis. Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve lines up from the bottom. A lot to do today. Avdei Drabichia Bar Ami Atpala Lahahi Ovedes Kochavim Lashem Insisa. So the servant, the servant of Rabbi Chia Bar Ami, so literally went ahead and took a took a wife. She was Ovedes Kochavim a Nanju. And he had her go to the mikvah for insisa. So if you look at Rashi, it's by the shame insisa, the shame tevilas nida, below tevilas gerus. So he had her go to the mikvah ultimately again for the purpose of nida, for purifying her from nidos, but not for the sake of conversion. Now what's, what's interesting over here, of course, is remember the laws of nida do not apply. Do not apply ultimately to non-Jews, but will apply, will apply in certain respects, depending on the circumstances, to avadim. To Avadim, to slave, to servants, slaves owned by Jews. So the Evan went ahead and had the woman go ahead and go to the mikvah for, for neither purposes. Amr Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef said, So apparently she gave birth to a daughter. Rav Yosef said, I could go ahead and show you how she is, how she is kosher, and her daughter's kosher. How so? Kidravasi, the Amravasi, Milo Tavla Lenidusa, excuse me, Ba Kidravasi. So, how can I show that she is Kshera? Like Ravasi, excuse me, how can I show that she is Kshera? Like Ravasi, what did Ravasi say? Milo Tavla Lenidusa, because Ravasi said, Did she not go ahead and be Tovel for her Nidus? Look at Rashi, last Rashi on the Daf, Milo Tavla Lenidusa, Vaosa Tavila, Ola Lalatvilas Geros. This is actually very interesting. Rabbi Asi says that she's Jewish. Why is she Jewish? Because since she went to the mikvah for the purpose of Nida, and since the halachos of Nida is part of the Torah, if she's going ahead and she's toveling for Nida, then chances are what? That means that she's accepting upon herself Judaism. So we'll say, this, of course, is very dramatic because Ritavasti essentially is allowing for a circumstantial conversion. The fact that she went to the mikvah for Nida, and Nida is one of the halachos that a Jewess has to keep, indicates to us that her immersion for Nida is in fact an immersion for for the sake of conversion. Hahu dikari, and again, uh, I'm sorry, ve'ever haba, ve'ever kosher, so that's why she herself, the, the servant will be kshera, and her daughter will be kshera, why? Because he holds that a Jewish woman that fathers, that, that has a child with a non-Jewish man, such a child is kosher. Okay. Hahu dikari bar armiyasa, there was a man who they used to call him the son of the Aramian. In other words, there was a man who they said his father was not Jewish. His father was not Jewish. So the Gemara says, Amravasi, Milo Tavla Lenidusa. So again, 
excuse me, I'm sorry, they said his mother was not Jewish. So Ravasi said, is that possible? After all, again, I'm sure that his mother at some point in time went to the mikvah for the sake of Nida, and because of that, again, like Ravasi's shita is, that Lamaisa, that type of circumstantial immersion is enough to affect conversion, which I will say we don't, we'll, we'll, we're going to get it, our, the conversion sugya, it's actually the next sugya. So we'll see when we could apply such a concept like this and when we can't. Bar Aramor. There was a man who they used to call the son of the Aramian, meaning they said that his father was not Jewish. Did he not at some point in time go to the mikvah for the sake of carry, for the sake of a seminal emission? So once he went to the mikvah for the sake of a seminal emission, again, that would be good enough to go ahead and affect his conversion as well. But I will say, obviously, you're talking about people over here who already conducted themselves as Jews. So the point over here that the people were raising is that they ever go through a formal conversion process, to which the Gemara is saying is that if people are already conducting themselves as Jews, we know that they went to the mikvah at some point in time for the sake of halacha, and therefore, again, that halachic immersion, although it was not for the express sake of conversion, Lamaisa <laughs> should be good enough to go in and affect conversion. It's actually an interesting case. If one purchases a slave, a servant from a non-Jew, so this is talking about purchasing a non-Jewish servant from a non-Jewish owner. So what's that? And then what happens on both sides? Before the Jew is able to fully take ownership, and we'll go ahead and we'll define this, the, the servant, the slave, jumps into the mikvah and goes ahead and immerses for the sake of converting Kana atzmo ben chorin. That's what it means when it says, V'tavol Hashem ben chorin. He, he tovels himself for the sake of ben chorin. Of a free man, it means he tovels himself for the sake of becoming Jewish. Kana atzmo ben chorin. He has acquired himself. In other words, if he converts, if he converts before the Jewish master is able to take full ownership, then Lamaisa, he has acquired himself. My time, oh, what's the reason? Type of men because an Ovid Kochavim, a non-Jew, when he owes another, owns another non-Jewish servant, ultimately has not acquired a guf, meaning he doesn't have shlita over the body of the servant. What does he have? Essentially, <coughs> if you look at Rashi, Rashi says over here, so we'll say we will see that essentially when a non-Jew owns a non-Jewish a non-Jewish servant, essentially what he owns is the productivity of that particular servant. But Lamaisa, again, he does not own the guf. Because of that, my whatever he owned, he's able to convey to the Jew. Meaning, so at, at first, at first, at first approach, the only thing that he's conveying to the Jew is what we call is some level of, of rights over his productivity. Therefore, and therefore, because the Jew does not yet own the guf, the body of the Eved, since now the Eved jumps into the mikvah and immerses himself for the sake of becoming a free man, i.e. a Jew, therefore the, the lean or the shibud, the lean or the rights that the Jewish master has ultimately go away. Kidurava, this is in accordance with the opinion of Rava. Rava, Hekdish Because Rava says about say that there are certain things that remove a lien from an item. And they are Hekdish consecrating something. Chametz, something becomes Chametz. Shikhrur, emancipation. I will say, so a simple, the, the way Rashi explains this case over here is we're talking about over here what we call an apotiki. An apotiki means if I borrow money from Ruvain and essentially I give, I, I give collateral. 
I collateralize something. And I say that ultimately if I can't pay the debt, so that item over there, we'll call it that ox. No, not, well, yeah, um, fine. <coughs> this, this, this watch will go ahead and become, this will become the source of your repayment. And then let's say I go ahead and I'm makdish, the watch. I consecrate it for the temple. So what happens when you consecrate something? Consecration removes any pre-existing liens. So therefore, again, it becomes property of the base of Mikdash. Similarly, again, if I were to go ahead and say I have a very expensive loaf of bread, if I can't go ahead and pay back the debt, you could go ahead and take my loaf of bread, and then what happens? Pesach comes. Once Pesach comes, as an Isra and Chametz, assuming I didn't sell it to a non-Jew, so Pesach comes, turns that into Chametz. Ultimately, the halacha is that once something becomes Chametz, it becomes removed from all potential use, and therefore the lien goes away as well. And Shikhrer, and ultimately, again, when an Evid becomes emancipated, that removes any and all liens from him as well. So the Gemara says, Masiv, Rav Chistra, Rav Chistra, is the Kasha. So I say, based on this, all we're saying over here is a very interesting idea. When a non-Jew owns a non-Jewish servant, bless you, he does not own the guf, he does not own the body of the servant. As opposed to when a Jew owns an Evid Kanani, a non-Jewish servant, the Jew owns the guf. We'll discuss where we get that from. The Jew owns the guf, which means that at the point of transition from the non-Jew to the Jew, Technically speaking, if the Evid were to jump into the mikvah and convert, then technically speaking, he has acquired himself for himself, and the Jew loses out. So the Gemara is a kasha. Masiv Rav Chister, Rav Chister is a kasha. Masiv Bibeloria Hagiores Shekadmu Avadah Vetavulifanah. There was once a situation of Beloria who herself was a convert. That what happened at the time that she was converting. Her servants, her slaves, jumped into the mikvah and what? And converted before her. They converted before her. And the rabbis, and this episode came before the rabbis, and they said, that ultimately what? That the servants have acquired themselves as free men. To which the Gemara says, Now interestingly enough, the reason why this seems to work is why? Because they were converting before her. But had they converted after her, it would not work. Look at Rashi. Rashi says over here, Because again, if they converted before, her, that means they became Jewish, she's non-Jewish, therefore again they have the ability to go ahead and take possession of themselves, but had she converted first, Rashi says, So you see from here that what? That once the slave is owned by is owned by the Jew, that Lamaise again, he cannot acquire himself as a free man. To which the Gemara says, no, 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 let's qualify this. Rava says like this, if they converted before Beluria, so when they immerse themselves in the mikvah, whether they explicitly articulated that they are doing so for the sake of becoming free men or not, Lemaisa, they go ahead and they go ahead and they acquire themselves. However, if they're toveling in the mikvah after she converted, if they explicitly say we're immersing ourselves in the mikvah for the sake of becoming free men, i.e. Jewish, then again, the tevila works. But if they did not explicitly articulate, then it would not work. Amravavya, lo shanu ella ella, lo shanu ella, 
So this whole discussion of a slave being able to go ahead and acquire himself is only talking about a situation where a Jew is purchasing the slave from the non-Jew. Because at that point in time, as we said before, the non-Jew has only acquired what we'll call productivity or output of the slave, has not acquired the actual guf of the Eved. Aval ovit kochavim gufei kani. We'll say, now what does this mean? Look at Rashi. Aval ovit kochavim gufei. A non-Jew who sold himself to a Jew, the Jew has actually acquired his, his has actually acquired him, has actually acquired his body. So interestingly enough, when a Jew acquires a non-Jew as a servant, the Maisa the Jew owns the entirety of the non-Jew, that actually owns the body, and therefore the Maisa of the non-Jew were to try to go to the mikvah in order to go and become Ben-Chorin, such a situation would not work. Why? Because he does not have shlita, he does not have full control over his own physicality, therefore he does not have the ability to change his status. Where do we get this from? So the Gemara says, where do we get this idea that if a Jew owns a non-Jewish servant, he owns Lamaisa his guf, because the Pasuk says, from literally the sons of the residents, right, who live within you, referring to the Gentile nations within Canaan, mayhem tiknu, from among them, you should go ahead and acquire. The Gemara is talking about over here that it's better to acquire a non-Jewish servant than it is to acquire a Jewish one. So mayhem tiknu, from them you shall acquire. Atem konim mayhem, you could acquire from them, i.e. if you take a non-Jewish servant, so again, remember, you acquire the guf of the servant, vehem lo konim mikem, but they cannot acquire your guf. Velohem konim zemize, furthermore again, they cannot acquire the guf of one another. They cannot acquire the guf of one so we'll say the point that Gemara is making over here from the Pasuk, we see that the only time that a master acquires the guf of the servant is when, is in a case of where a Jew is purchasing a non-Jewish servant. But in any other case of servitude, either the, the Gentile is the master, the Jewish is the Jew is a servant, or Gentile to Gentile, in all of those cases, there's not a kinyan aguf. What the, the master does not acquire the body, he just simply acquires the productivity. They will say the nafkamina would be, again, in the case of where the Evid goes ahead and tries to go to the mikvah to free himself. In a case of a Jewishly owned servant, it would not work because the Jew owns the guf. But in the other cases, it technically could work. So the Gemara says, Velo heim konimikem. So they cannot acquire from you, meaning that a, a non-Jew who owns a Jewish servant does not acquire the guf. So the Gemara says, Lamai, what does that refer to? If you say that the Gentile master does not acquire the earnings or the productivity of the Jewish servant, is that true? I mean, it's not true. Is it true that you're trying to say that a Gentile master will not acquire the masayadaim, the, the output, or the... the, 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 pro, the, the um, that output, okay. Uh, the productivity, okay. Well, what, what he produces with this, and he's saying that the Gentile master would not acquire that. That's not true. Torah speaks about explicitly the idea that a Jew can be sold if a Jew is sold to a non Jewish master. So you see over here that a Jew can be sold to a non Jewish master. What is the Jew being sold for? Rather, we mean is that the non Jewish master can never acquire the actual 
actual guf of the Jew. And the Pasuk says, Atem afilu gufe. So therefore, I both said the novelty and the ruling is that the way the Torah sets it up is that the Jewish master could acquire the guf, could acquire the body of the Gentile servant, but the reverse is not true. When a Gentile, when a Gentile servant, when a Gentile master acquires a Jewish servant, he only acquires the ma'asayadayim and not the actual guf. Parich Rav Acha. Ravacha raised the kasha, and he said again, maybe Ema bekaspo betvila, maybe Lamaisa, the only way you acquire ultimately is both with money as well as with tvila, to which the Gemara says kasha. Indeed, that is a good kasha. Look at Rashi. Ema bekaspo betvila, l'shum avdusu dekamu rachmana likni, avalim kadam v'tava l'shem ben chorin hachanami de ben chorin. So Ravacha is raising the point, maybe the only time that a Jew fully acquires a non-Jewish servant is both when there is kasp but when there is money and tevila l'shem avdus, but before either of these processes, both of these processes are complete, if the non-Jew were to jump into the mikvah for the sake of conversion, he would indeed acquire himself, to which the Gemara says, kasha. You know what? It is a good question. Amr Shmuel. So Shmuel says, v'tzarech l'tokfo b'mayim. Well, it's actually very interesting. Shmuel says that in order, when you, now I'll say, what the Gemara did not explicitly say here, but it's understood from the context, is that when a Jew acquires a non-Jewish servant, there's something called tvila l'shem avdos. There's an immersion in the mikvah for the sake of servitude. Because remember, again, when a Jew takes a non-Jewish servant to it, that, that servant, it's a strange thing in halacha, because normally being Jewish is kind of an all or nothing, with the exception of a servant. A Gentile servant, upon becoming the servant of a Jew, is immersed for the sake of servitude, and that immersion gives him the status of a quasi-Jew. He's already chayiv in certain mitzvahs from the time of that immersion. So the Rav Ashi brings out, so excuse me, Shmuel says something very interesting over here, which is that when you do that immersion for the sake of avdos, you have to be careful. Why? Because you have to show that it's done for the sake of servitude and not what? And not for the sake of freedom, i.e. becoming Jewish. Because if, if he goes in and takes advantage of that tzidila, ultimately he becomes Jewish, and you have just lost, I mean, it's, it might be a benefit for Klali, so, but you have just lost your servant. So therefore, Shmuel says that when you immerse him for the sake of Avdus, that immersion itself must have some type of demonstration of servitude. Look at Rashi. When you immerse him for the sake of Jewish servitude, you have to give him some type of act of servitude already in the water. In order that it looks like that it's clear contextually that he is that he is immersing for the sake of servitude. So it has to be so apparently clear that the servitude is for the sake. Uh, excuse me, that the immersion is for the sake of servitude. That even if he says no, I did it for the sake of becoming Jewish, it's clear from the context that that is not true. So the Gemara says, Kiha. Listen to this. Because like the case of Minyamin, who was the servant of Ravashi, he went ahead and so Ravashi needed to immerse him for the sake of servitude. So what happened? So Ravashi gave Minyamin over to Ravina and to Ravacha, the son of Rava, in order to immerse him for the sake of Avdus. And Ravashi said, If something goes wrong over here, and he ends up converting, 
I'm coming after you guys. Meaning, in other words, that if he pulls shtick with this conversion, he ex- with this immersion, and he ends up converting, you are going to be financially liable to me for the sake of the loss of my servant. So what do they do? Ramule arvisa bitsavarase. So I'll say, okay. So, so no, this wouldn't exactly be politically correct. So what did they do? They went ahead and they put a leash on his neck. So what did they do? On the servant, I mean, Yaman's neck. So what did they do? Arpule, they loosened it. Vitsamtsmule, and they tightened it. Arpule, they loosened it. Why? In order that the water should be able to get to every part of Minyamin. Tsamtsmule, they tightened it. In order that he not make the statement that I am going ahead and immersing myself for the sake of becoming a free man. The idea Rabbi say is that the tightening of the, the tightening of the leash was clearly a demonstrative act of servitude, so that it was clear contextually that Lamaisa, the act of immersion, was for the sake of was for the sake of servitude. So and furthermore, as soon as Binyamin lifted his head up from the water, they placed the bucket of cement on his head, and they said to him, Go ahead and take this to the house of your master. So Mamush, as he's coming up from the water, they already literally put upon him an act of servitude in order that there should be no possibility of him declaring himself that, that this immersion was done for the sake of his freedom slash Judaism. Rabbi said to Rabbi, Chazimar, Hani Debei Papa Bar Abba, Diyahave Zuzei Leinshi Lekargaihu, Umeshabdi Bahu, Kinafki Tzricha Gita Dechirus Saolos. Well, this is actually a very interesting case. So Rabbi Papa said to Rabbi, these people from the house of Papi Bar Abba. Now, so what happened to Papi Bar Abba? So in times of Papi Bar Abba, there was a head tax. The king imposed the head tax. If you did not go ahead and pay your head tax, you became a slave to the king. So Papi Bari Abba, if, now this is to non-Jews in his locale. There were non-Jews who could not go ahead and pay the head tax. He paid the head tax for them. And as a result, he took them as his own servants, Mishabdi Bahu. Now, now Rav Papa is asking Rava, when these guys go out from their servitude, now when they go out from their servitude, after they worked off the amount of the head tax, so after they went out of their servitude, do they need a get shikhrur or not? Right? Do they need a document of emancipation? Meaning, is this considered to, essentially what really, what Rav, Rav Papa is asking Rava is, is, this a, is, what, is what they're doing in the house of Rav Papi, is it appropriate or not? Is it, is it legal what they're doing? So Amalei, so Rava responded, Amalei uh, Echo, I'm sorry, very interesting. So Rabbi said, oh, it's a good thing you asked me, because had I died, I would not have been able to answer. I will say, so apparently, what, what, what does that mean? So apparently, again, we'll say, Rabbi, Rabbi was already older at this point in time. So what Rava is saying to Rabbi is saying to Rabbi is, I'm so happy you asked me. I never taught this halacha. I'm so happy you asked me this, because now I can tell this to you before I die. I will say, understand, once upon a time, Torah Shabbat Peh was Baal Peh, which means that, which meant that if a Rebbe died and did not go ahead and give over all of his knowledge, that knowledge went with him to the grave. So Rav is almost like expressing gratitude towards my Papa. I realize I never taught this halacha. So thank you for asking me the question. Now I know that before I leave this world, I've given over this information. So what happens? So said, Muhar Muhar Kaihu Dahani Bitafsa de Malka Manach. 
literally Mohar Kaihu means the seal of servitude. The seal of servitude for these individuals rests betafsa in the chest of the king. Umalka Amar and the king said, Well, in other words, what Roshishis was saying was this is actually part of the rule of the kingdom. That the king said that if somebody cannot pay their head tax and someone else pays their head tax for them, that the person who paid the head tax owns the individual who could not pay or whom he paid on his behalf. So therefore, I said what Rav Shesha is saying is what they're doing in the house of Rav Papi is absolutely legal and it's actually part of the statutes of the kingdom. Okay. Rav Bar Abba Ikla Legabla. Rav Bar Abba went to the, Gavla was a city. Chaza Benos Yisrael Avron Migen. Now we're going to get into the sugya. We're going to begin to get into the of conversion, which is really interesting. So what happens? Rav Bar Abba went to the city of Gavla and he saw that there were Jewish girls. Avron Megerim Shemalu Velotavlu. And he said they were Jewish women married to men who had converted, but interestingly enough, they had done bris milah, but never went to the mikvah. They never had an immersion for the sake of conversion. Okay, that's number one. He also saw that there was Jewish wine that was being diluted by Gentiles. Meaning, again, I will say that what happened, you have to, you have to dilute wine concentrate. So there was Jewish wine concentrate. The dilution was done by non-Jews. And yet, but yet the Jews would still go out and drink the wine. Okay, the Chazu Tormesin, the Shalki of the Kocham, the Achli Yisrael, and he saw Tormesin. I will say Tormesin is a type of lentil that requires extensive cooking. So he saw Tormesin that was cooked by non-Jews, and yet Jews would still eat it. Velo Amr Lehu, Velo Midi. But yet Rav Chiyah Abba, and we'll see why, did not say anything. Did not say anything to these individuals. Also, they came to Rabbi Yochanan. So Rav Chiyah Abba came before Rabbi Yochanan. He told him what he saw. Rabbi Yochanan said, say, Go out and announce that the children of Gavla ultimately again are Mamzerim. Again, I will say, we'll see why that is. And ultimately that their wine is Yayinesach. And say that the Tormesin is Bishul Akum. Bishlak, and I will say, we know that there is a prohibition, actually a very important halacha, a prohibition to go ahead and eat food that is cooked by non-Jews. This has nothing to do with ingredients. Nothing to do with ingredients. Has to do with, again, there are, we'll see this in Avodah a number of gazeros that were enacted by the rabbis in order to prevent too much of a social interaction. One of them, ultimately, again, is that we may not go ahead and eat food cooked by non-Jews. We will say, you'd be surprised, this is a halacha that sometimes people are unaware of, especially if a person has maybe a, Jewish, uh, a non-Jewish cleaning lady or a housekeeper that a person allows to do certain things around the house, you have to be very careful because literally a non-Jew is not permitted to cook for a Jew. Obviously, there are circumstances where that is permitted, but just so you understand that Bishul Akam is so serious that according to most poskim, that if you that if a, if a non-Jew cooks food for a Jew in Jewish utensils, according to many poskim, that those utensils have to be kashered literally have to be kashered in the same way that if one cooked treif in those utensils. So this is so therefore again, Rabbi Yochanan is saying over here that this is Bishal Akum, that the Gentile cooked the Tormesin, therefore you're not permitted to go ahead and eat it, Bishal Akum. So let's, let's understand. Ulefi she'inon b'nei Torah. Why? And this is all because the people of Gavlo are clearly not b'nei Torah. Look at Rashi. Rashi is over here, Ulefi she'inon b'nei Torah, at Tormesin koi. Now we're going to qualify this statement before. What does this mean? Does this mean that Rabbi 
excuse me, that Rabbi Yochanan is saying all of this because you're not B'nai Torah. Rashi says that the B'nai Torah piece specifically refers to the Tormesin. We're going to define that in just a moment. So I will say, now the Gemara is going through each of these. Number one, Rabbi Yochanan, it's a B'nai Shem Amzir. So remember, Rabbi Yochanan said that, remember, the Jewish women of Gavla were married to men, to converts, who had had a bris milah, but did not go ahead and immerse in a mikvah. So Rabbi Yochanan declared the children of Amzerim. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Yochanan, the time, eh? Do Amr Abchibar, Am Amr Rabbi Yochanan, Li'olam Ein Ger, because say Rabbi Yochanan holds that a person is not considered to be a convert until he has both mila and tevila. You need circumcision and immersion. So essentially, a person who went out and had circumcision but did not have immersion is not Jewish. Is not Jewish. Furthermore, now since he has not immersed himself, so therefore he's not Jewish. He's a non Jew. So we'll say essentially what you have is the confluence of two different shitos that create a very negative result. Number one, he holds that in order to convert, you need Mila and Tvila. And if you only have one, if you only have one, then again, you are not considered to be Jewish as much as you've started the process. So now these men are not Jewish. Furthermore, he holds that if a non-Jewish man fathers a child with a Jewish woman, that child is a mamzer. Therefore, the children of Gavla ultimately are mamzerim. Next, and their wine is considered to be yayin esech. Now, both saying, now the interesting part about this is the following. If you look at Rashi, first wide line, Rashi says over here, I want to point something out. Remember, and bless you, in this case, the non-Jews are not actually touching the wine. What are they doing? They're pouring water into the wine. They're not actually touching the wine. So technically speaking, this should not be Yayin Esach. Yayin Esach only comes up if a non-Jew touches the wine. To which the Gemara says, you're right. But since over here, when they pour the water, they are displacing the wine, meaning they're causing the wine to move. So we'll say, this is an expression that we have, that to the Nazir, who's not permitted to go ahead and drink wine, we tell him, we tell him, go around the vineyard. Essentially, don't, go, don't cut through the vineyard, even though you're not doing anything wrong by cutting through it, go around. In other words, it's another way of saying that sometimes we try to distance ourselves from circumstances in which we could ultimately get into trouble trouble down the road. So therefore, again, Rabbi Yochanan is concerned that if we allow the non-Jew to go ahead and dilute the wine, the people of the people of Gavla, who themselves may be, seem to be ignorant individuals, will allow the non-Jew to touch the wine later on. Therefore, better to declare the wine now, Yayin to prevent it from actually coming to Isurim later on. And ultimately, we said that they can't, Rabbi Yochanan said, they can't eat a Tormesin because it's Bishalakum, it's food cooked by a non-Jew. And they, remember, he ended off by saying, Why can't they eat the Tormesin? Because they're not B'nai Torah. Torah Shari. So you're trying to tell me that if they were B'nai Torah, the Tormesin would not be a problem? Anything that can be eaten raw is not subject to the laws of Bishul Akum. Because since, again, Lemaisa, the object can be eaten raw anyway, the act of cooking is not considered to be such value added to the product, and therefore, again, it's not subject to Bishul Akum. But yet again, a tormus cannot be eaten in a raw state, and therefore, so I don't understand what does it have to do with the people of, B'nai, of Gavla are B'nai Torah, not B'nai Torah. Either way, if a non-Jew cooks tormesin, the tormesin should what? Should be also because of Bishul Akum. It can't be eaten raw. 
Rabbi Yochanan holds like the other lashon. What's the other lashon? Lam Rabbi Shmuel Bar Yitzchak Mishmei Derav Kol She'ein Ola Ashulchan Melachim Le'achal Ba'as Hapas Ein Ba Mishum Bishuli Ov Delgacham. Rabbi Yitzchak said because Rabbi Shmuel Bar Yitzchak says in the name of Rav that any food that is not fit for a king's table is not subject to laws of Bishul Akum. Rabbi Yitzchak said Bishul Akum doesn't apply to every single food. It only applies to chashev foods, to important foods. What's the definition of a chashev food? Something that a king would serve at his table. Now, now what does that mean? The idea is saying is that, that a person would consider to be himself a chashev item. It's not subjective, by the way, it's objective. The time of, therefore, again, I'll both say, technically speaking, technically, using this logic, what should be the halacha with turmasin? So apparently turmasin were not considered to be a very important food. Therefore, using this, using this parameter, so turmasin should not be subject to the laws of Bishal Akum. Therefore, Rabbi Yochanan said, The only reason we're saying it is Bishal Akum is because we're afraid that the people of Gavla, if we let them use turmasin cooked by a non-Jew, they will end up having other foods cooked by a non-Jew. So because they are B'nai Torah, they are not B'nai Torah, we have to even make the turmasin illegal. Ha B'nai Torah, Shari. But again, if they were B'nai Torah, but just made a mistake, and you could educate them to avoid the mistake in the future, we would have told them the Tormesin are mutarm. But again, I will say, obviously, Rabbi Yochanan was really saying over here is that the people of Gavla just are, are ignorant individuals, and you have to be concerned that if we don't create certain Gidarim, they're going to violate Halacha even more. Therefore, he said the Tormesin are Asr. So I will say, a lot that came out of this Sugya, a lot of Halacha. But now, the Gemara is going to use this Sugya as a, as, a, as a springboard for a discussion about conversion. Because remember, what came up over here was the interesting case of the men of Gavla, the converts of Gavla, who did Mila, did bris Mila, but did not do Tevila. And clearly Rabbi Yochanan ruled that Mila without Tevila is not effective conversion. Now the Gemara is going to discuss this. If you have a convert who did bris Mila, but didn't immerse in the Mikvah, Rabbi Lozah says, Hareze Ger. Rabbi Loza says it's a conversion. Now again, Rabbi say Rabbi Loza is not saying you shouldn't do tefila. Also, you should do tefila. Also, but Lamaisa, right after you did mila, you are Jewish. Why we have historical precedent? What's the historical precedent? Our forefathers that did mila and did not go to the mikvah. I will say now, what forefathers is he referring to over here? Look at Rashi. Bavasinu Shemalu, second line. Bime Moshe. When we left Egypt, Rabbi also remember, one of the things we had to do before we left Egypt was what? Was bris milah. So Rabbi Lazar understands that that bris milah ultimately was an entry into the covenant of God. So you see historical precedent for just milah affecting conversion. Okay. What happens again, Lamaisa, if you just did Tevila, but you did not do, so you did, you did immersion, but not circumcision. Rabbi Yeshua says such a conversion works. Okay, interesting. Where does he get that from? Well, this is very interesting. Because we find it with the, literally our emos, our matriarchs, that they immersed and did not do brismila. Okay, so the Gemara says over here, Be'imos, Rashi says, Nishoseihem she'tavlu ki demafarish lekamon, dimlo tavlu b'man nichnes utachas kanteshin. And this is actually very interesting. So Rabbi Yoshua says over here, um, Rabbi Yeshua says over here that Lamaisa, 
it must have been that the women at the time of Yitzhak Yitzhak must have immersed in the mikvah, must have, must have immersed in a body of water. Because how else did they enter into the covenant of God? If the men were doing milah, the women had to have done something also, so they must have done immersion. So you see over here that just like they did immersion, no circumcision, obviously, that, that immersion by itself works as well. The chachamim say, no, you're both wrong. On the other end, the Chachamim say they disagree with both Rabbi Elazar and Rabbi Yoshua. So remember, you have Rabbi Elazar saying that Mila by itself is enough claiming historical precedent. Rabbi Yoshua is saying Tevila is enough claiming historical precedent. And the Chachamim saying, no, in order to become Jewish, you need both Mila and Tevila. Rabbi Yoshua, Nami Nelif Me'avos. Why doesn't Rabbi Yoshua, who says that Tevila is enough, why doesn't he learn out from the forefathers that you also require, from our ancestors, that you also require Mila? Rabbi Lazar nami leilif mi'imos, and why doesn't Rabbi Lazar also learn out that tevila is enough from our our female ancestors? The chitema, maybe he'll say, ain't done in efshar mishii efshar. Then I will say, maybe he'll say, there's a very simple reason why you can't learn out from the imos. Because that's ridiculous. It's strange to say that we're going to learn out that there's not an obligation of Mila for conversion purposes from the Imos, from our female ancestors who obviously didn't have the ability for Mila. So the Gemara says that's what it means. Maybe you'll say, Ain't done in Efsha You can't go ahead and learn out a case of possibility from a case where it's not possible. Vatanya, we learned, Rebeloza, what Rebeloza says, Rebeloza, how do we know that carbon Pesach in future generations can only come from Chulun money? Rebeloza, now what does this mean? Let's say I have Meister Shani money. Remember, what is Meister Shani money? Meister Shani money is, is consecrated money that has to be spent in Yerushalayim. So I figure, great, I have to bring a carbon Pesach anyway. Let me just go ahead and bring my current Pesach from Meister Shani money. So how do we know that you are not permitted to do that? But Meister Shani could, oh, excuse me, but Pesach could only come minachulin from unconsecrated funds. So the Gemara says, we learned that how. It says the word Pesach by, by Mitzrayim, right? By, by the Pesach Mitzrayim. And he used the same word Pesach for future observances also. Just like by Pesach of Mitzrayim, the original Pesach, it had to be brought from unconsecrated funds. We'll say why? Because there was no such thing as Maeser Sheni. So to Pesach for all future generations also can only be brought from unconsecrated funds as well. Amrali Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva, what are you talking about? How can you even compare those cases? Of course, Pesach Mitzrayim didn't come from Maeser Sheni funds because there was no such thing as Maeser Shani yet. So how can you compare that to future generations? So to which he responds, Amrali Afa Pishi Efshar, even though you're right in Pesach Mitzrayim. There was no ability for Maeser Shani. Nevertheless, Raya Gidolihi Venil Mothemena. Nevertheless, it's a good raya, and we could learn it. In other words, I will say that even though the cases do not line up exactly, nevertheless, we can use Pesach Mitzrayim as a paradigm for future generations. So, say, so from here you see that sometimes you can make comparisons between things, even if they have obvious dissimilarities. Ella, 
Rather, Amud Beis, Bitava Volomal Kuli Amalo Plegidimahani. Rather, what the Gemara is suggesting over here is that everyone would agree that if a person immersed in the mikvah but did not do Mila, everyone agrees that what? Dimahani. Everyone agrees that such a conversion would be good. Now, I will say everybody agrees at this, at this point over here. Not everybody agrees. But if the Gemara is suggesting that for just a moment, Ki Plegi, perhaps when do they argue? Bimal Velotaval. Maybe the only time they argue is when, is when they what was. So, I will say, so again, what the Gemara is suggesting over here is that Lamaisa, if I could use our female ancestors as a paradigm for a conversion, what that teaches me is what? Is that Lamaisa, immersion in a mikvah by itself, is enough to affect, is enough to affect conversion. So Lamaisa, now I could say, with absolute certainty, says the Gemara, although there's not going to be Pascal Lamaisa, that if somebody immerses, even if they didn't yet do Mila, that Lamaisa, they're Jewish. So Kipli, when does the Machlogis come up? In a case of circumcision without immersion. Rabbi Eliezer Yolif Me'avos, Rabbi Eliezer learns it out from the ancestors, and from our, from our male ancestors, and says what? Just like they needed Mila, so too there is no conversion without Mila. For Rabbi Yoshua, and Rabbi Yeshua says, no, the truth is, even our forefathers, it wasn't their circumcision that affected their, their conversion. Rather, what was it? It was their immersion in the mikvah. So the Gemara says, Minale, how do you know that our forefathers, that our ancestors, immersed in the mikvah? Listen to this. Because the Pasuk says, Leich ela'am. Bosa, this is talking about by Matan Torah, by Har Sinai. HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe Rabbeinu, go to the people, v'kidashtem hayom umachar, and consecrate them, sanctify them, today and tomorrow, v'kipsu simlosam, and have them, and kipsu simlosam literally means have them launder their clothing. Now, the way the Gemara is understanding this is what? Well, actually, the Gemara says, uma b'makom she'in ta'on kibus, Ta'on tvila. Now I will say, even in circumstances where you don't require immersion of clothing, you require immersion of the body. Now, what does that mean? Look at Rashi. Let's say a man has a seminal emission. So the Allah is he must immerse his body in the mikvah, but he need not immerse his clothing. See, even in circumstances where you don't require where you don't require kibus begadim, you do require tevila. Makum shetaun kibus eno din shetaun tevila. It goes without saying that what that in a place where you would have to immerse your clothing, you of course would what have to immerse your body as well. Therefore, the Gemara is suggesting over here is that Lamaisa, when Moshe tells the people, put your, launder your clothing, which Abosai means immerse your clothing in a mikvah. If you have to immerse your clothing, you certainly have to what? You certainly have to immerse your body. So what do you see from here? That there was a full body immersion prior to Matan Torah. What was the purpose of that full body immersion? The Pashas, that was for conversion purposes. What do you see from here? That even by the male ancestors, it was the immersion that affected conversion. To which the Arsene Vidilma Nakius Bahama, how do you know that? Maybe when Moshe Abinu says, launder your clothing, he was saying just that. Launder your clothing. Maybe this is not immersion in the mikvah, but maybe this is just again Nikios, simple cleanliness. Rather, we learn an immersion from here. Again, by Sinaitic revelation, Moshe Rabbeinu took the blood of the sacrifices and he sprinkled it on the people. Ugamiri, and we have a tradition, that any sprinkling of sacrificial blood is always preceded by what? Always preceded by immersion in the mikvah. Okay, so what we'll the Gemara is suggesting over here, and again, without an explicit proof, but almost from a circumstantial proof, is that there must have been tevila. Because there must have been tevila, perhaps everyone would agree that that tevila by itself, even without mila, is able to affect circum, is able to affect conversion. Rabbi Yeshua, tevila be Where does Rabbi Yeshua know? That the our, our female ancestors 
ultimately immersed for conversion purposes. Svarahu, it's 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 just logic. Why? The Imkain if they did not immerse in a mikvah, then how exactly did they affect their conversion? Meaning, how exactly did they enter into the covenant with God? So we'll say now, after this whole discussion, Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yoshua, Chachamim, Rabbi Chia says, listen guys, here is the halacha, you are not a convert until you have both mila as well as tevila. So the one says, pshita, isn't that kind of obvious? Yochid v'rab, halacha k'rab, because remember, we have a three machlokes, Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yoshua, and the Chachamim. So whenever you have a dispute between individuals and a collective, a larger group, a Rabbim, we assume that the Chachamim are a group. Therefore, the Maise, again, their opinion is going to outweigh the opinion of Rabbi Lezer and Rabbi Yoshua. To which the Rabbi says, no, no, no. Man Chachamim, who is the Chachamim? Rabbi Yossi. Interestingly enough, Rabbi Yossi, the Chacham over here reflects the view of Rabbi Yossi. Disanya. Hari Shebav Amar Malti Tavalti. Listen to this, Rabbi Let's say a person shows up. A person shows up and says, I'm Jewish, I'm Jewish. I went ahead and I did circumcision, but I did not do tevila. So the Gemara says, Mat also. We have him go to the mikvah. Umar bikach. And who cares? Div Rabbi Huda. Now, what does that mean? We have him go to the mikvah and who cares? Look at Rashi. Rashi says over here, Mat also. Vahavi ki soma alya. Ve'intzarach livdog be'edim. Im milas l'shem mitzvah smila. Umar bikach. Im ain milas l'shem mila. Hov tabitvila saga. So also listen to this. So Rabbi Huda of the opinion that the ikra of conversion is tevila, is immersion in the mikvah. So what's the issue of us? The issue is like this. If a person shows up and says that I'm Jewish because I had a bris milah, remember, having, being circumcised is not evidence of Judaism. Why? Because I'm say if a person converts, the only time that the milah is, is effective is when, if it was done for the sake of geros. Most this comes up all the time. Let's say a person was circumcised. It's not uncommon for a non-Jewish person to be circumcised. This person had a circumcision when they were a baby in the hospital. So what happens is they come to convert. So they say, oh, you have a bris milah, meaning because that circumcision that they had in their Gentile days, that's not effective for conversion. So what's happening over here is the guy shows up and says, oh, I already did a bris milah, I'm Jewish. So Rabbi Huda says, the truth is what we do is we take him to the mikvah, we take him to the mikvah, and we have him immerse for the sake of conversion. We don't really care so much about his bris milah because bris milah is not the necessity for conversion. What matters most for conversion purposes is immersion because as long as we are able to oversee immersion in the mikvah, we don't really care so much about the circumstances of his circumcision. Rabbi Yossi says, no, ain't mat bilin. We do not go ahead and immerse him. Now, what does that mean? Why not? Rashi says, In Matbilin, Shema Aravi Mahul, Vigivoni Mahulu, Fitzrach Lahatif Mimino Dambris, Rabiosi Tarti Boy. I was on the other hand, Rabiosi says, No, what are you talking about? First of all, again, just because he has a circumcision, again, Lamaisa, that's not proof of Judaism. And Rabiosi holds, You can't just put him in the mikvah and move on, because Lamaisa, at the end of the day, he requires both Mila as well as Tvila, Lushem Geras. So, first, we have to go in and take care of the Mila. And Rabiosi, I will see the way you take care of the how, how can you do Mila if somebody's already circumcised? So we do what's called Hatafas Dambris. We draw blood from the place of circumcision for the purpose of conversion. So Biosi essentially says that Lamaisa, you need both Mila and Tevila. In my, so when we say in Mabilin, it means we don't just quickly immerse him now. We need, we, need to do a, we need to do a Mila for the sake of conversion and then afterwards we could be told. So Biosi, the point that you're making over here is that you see that halacha lemaisa Rabbi Yossi is the opinion who holds that you require both mila and tevila. Lefichach, therefore, again, lefichach matbilin ger b'shabes. Divrei Rabbi Yehuda, 
Unless you're not actually, we're gonna we're gonna stop over here. We'll stop at Lefichach. Okay, we have a lot to do tomorrow, but we'll pick up uh, we'll pick up over here Lefichach. Yeah.